Welcome back to Bears on Tap, a podcast about the Chicago Bears. You could follow us on Twitter at Bears on Tap or follow On Tap Sportsnet for all of your Chicago sports needs. And you can also go to ontapsportsnet.com to find all of our article and podcasting content. Um, and we're ranging all the way into NASCAR, WWE, um, MMA. So we're, we're not just Chicago sports. We're branching out a lot. We got NIU, Notre Dame on tap. So um, definitely go ahead and check out our site. Today, I am joined by that pod guy, Duke, Duke Coughlin, and Brandon Suarez, Beat on 300. Um, and of course, my name's Lucas Perfetti. You could follow me at Lucas Perfetti 46. Gentlemen, we have a lot to talk about today. We obviously have um, the preseason has been canceled. Uh, that's a ruling that has kind of been in the works for a while now. Um, and that's something that also I feel like. The NFL PA has been trying to at least work down the preseason games or cancel them for a long time. They, they just feel like players are subjected to unnecessary injury and, you know, save it to be only two games like that for, you know, scout team players and stuff like that. You have your, your depth guys that you can go ahead and get some game time and see what they're about on film, get some film out on them. But for the most part, um, kind of as expected, I mean, we are today's what Thursday. So quarterbacks have already reported um, rookies reported two days ago. So, you know, we put an article out, out about that. A um, lot of stuff happening. Um, so, so far, so good. I know that the the policy itself is for players to go get tested and then they go home. They don't even actually go into the facility from what I've heard. Um, then they go home, they find out if they're clean within a couple of days, and then they come back to start doing stuff. And from what I've heard, they're just starting with a ton of conditioning to make sure these guys are in shape. But um, yeah, and in and, and other words, too, Bears news, uh, Ben Broniker was cut. This is something that me and Duke discussed a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Um, you know, we kind of both thought that Broniker wasn't going to be on the roster. And it's just something, you know, another class move by Ryan Pace and the Chicago Bears, letting guys go when they know they're not going to keep them. They're, they're going to shorten these training camp uh, rosters. We don't know if it's going down to 80 or 75, but overall, like solid move by the Bears to let him go because they know they weren't going to keep him. No reason to use him as a camp body, give him as much time as possible to go find himself another job because he's been a four prong special teamer for us. You know, he has added value in some areas, but as we were discussing before, um, you know, before we were on the podcast, definitely um, we need more production from that position. But gentlemen, how are we doing? I'm good. I'm just surprised that you can talk that much without breathing personally. Gangsters don't dance. They boogie. <laughs> I like that. Uh, no, man, I'm That's good. That's actually I'm a Snoop Dogg quote, by the way. All right. To everyone who was uncultured and didn't know the Snoop Dogg quote. There you go. Lucas Perfetti's got you, got your hookup. Um, I'm good. Uh, I'm ready to talk some Chicago bears. Uh, just drank my G fuel. Definitely not sponsored by G fuel whatsoever, but I still drank it. It was still delicious. Um, and uh, I guess if I was going to say anything, I would say that Pro Football Reference is probably the best statistical uh, website I've ever gone to. And I've been going to it for years, and I think uh, more people should go to it. Yeah, um, and Duke gave us a nice little prequel to a stat that he found that he really enjoys, um, and we'll talk about that. But I have found some difficulty with Pro Football Reference. I'm looking for like a legitimate site that you don't have to pay for where you're able to get advanced statistics like throwing to certain parts of the field or you know uh specific routes being ran or stuff like that i know pff does a breakdown but i refuse to pay for a fucking uh, i i refuse to pay for fucking pff it's just that simple 
I said, uh, pro football reference is actually PFR and PFR is completely 100% free. No, I understand that. I'm saying there's oh. some advanced metrics I'm not able to get to. And, um, I know PFF has them, but they can go suck a fucking dick because they've been dogging bears players forever. Yeah. You know, I'm feeling brother. <laughs> I, will, I will say now you guys walked me in on a bad time, but I listened to an interview with Chris Collinsworth this week and I know he's not the people's champ, not the people's favorite. But I will say I listen to the way he does his ratings, and it is a fair method. He grades everyone the same way. It does suck. I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But, hey, I'm doing fantastic. Training camp is about to start. Football season is upon us. Baseball just started. We got a couple games. We got a game going on right now. The sports world is back. I'm ready. I'm just ready to rock. Yeah, it's nice, right, to have some semblance of normalcy and then, like, the yes. NHL and the NBA is going to all be popping in at the same time. It's going to be like, whoa, all the sports are back at the same time. So, knock on wood, hopefully these fucking things stay. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, and real quick, too, like you said, all the other leagues are kind of the guinea pigs. They're all going to get to run their little trial run before the NFL gets back out on the field. So, the NFL has no excuse to not get this right. They are the last person to start this race. They have to get this right when we get back to play. Yeah, 100 percent. But let's go to Benny B, because um, Benny Broniker was released, as I said in the intro. And, you know, as much as I liked him as a because, I mean, we're all about lunch pail guys here at ONTAP Sportsnet. And um, Ben Broniker was a lunch pail guy. You know, he's the type of guy that'll get you 13 catches on 130 yards and a touchdown for the year, which is not exactly what you want from your tight end position. But he is a is that a fucking lunch pail, Duke? Oh, it is. You're ridiculous. He's got a Paris <laughs> lunch fail. That's fantastic. Um, but yeah, he's a four prong special teamer. He added a lot of value on special teams, but obviously, you know, new guys have to step up and we need to fill those roles with some of these draft picks and stuff like that and see what they have, because we already know what Ben Broniker's made of. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing uh, to take away with the Ben Broniker thing. Um, it's not that Ben Broniker is a bad player. It's not that Ben Broniker cannot make it on an NFL roster. Cause I truly think he's going to be on an NFL roster by the time it hits, tra- by the time training camp is over. He's, he's a guy that you want to bring in. He can play special teams. He's shown in a pinch. He can play a little bit of tight end. He can catch the football, you know, and he's a smart guy. He's a legitimately smart guy. Um, I think he has a situation where he's going to go to a team that really needs him. And uh, yeah, man, uh, thank you for your time in Chicago. Of course, uh, the Bears, you know, like you said earlier, Lucas, the Bears handled it about as well as you possibly could, you know, because we are a player team, you know, as much as anyone else wants to say that we're not a player's team. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think Broniker is going to be just fine. But, yes, it is something I think we all kind of saw coming. The Bears simply put need to see more out of the tight end position. So, really, we're just not going to see a lot of the same faces in the tight end room this year, which is why we went and got a Jimmy Graham, which is why we drafted Bidon's boyfriend, Cole Komet. This is why these things happen. So, yeah, definitely. I think uh, I think it was just – it was kind of expected. Pers- you know, I, I, I think I saw it coming. Yeah, like I said, the, the Bears did him a solid by giving him extra time, especially with this COVID shit. Um, they're giving him extra time to find himself a job, but I think he'll land on his feet. Yeah, and, and you guys kind of touched on it. I think the one thing that now looking back on the article that I wrote today, you know, in regards to Ben being released, the one thing that I wish I would have put in the article is I'm glad the team did release him before camp. 
because you don't want to give him that false sense of him thinking he's going to make the team too. And you saw with the Cam Newton situation, you want to give these players a head start on the ability to get signed because this has been the most unprecedented offseason that we've seen, you know, since free agency started. So like you guys both said, I think he will end up on a team. He's not practice squad eligible, so he's going to have to earn his way onto a 53-man roster or 55, whatever it is this year, via special teams and his five to ten catches that he'll get you, you know, like you said, Lucas, in a pinch. Okay. You know what's funny? As you were saying that, it just kind of reminded me because we're talking about how the Bears did, um, you know, Broniker a solid. What about Ted Ginn? Should we be waiting for him to be sliced in the next couple days? Because otherwise you'd expect them to do the same solid to Ted Ginn um, as they did with Brent Broniker, right? I, that's just my – I mean, Pace has history with him, um, but that's just my interpretation at this point. Totally different animal. Ted Ginn has at least a resume that you could put down on a on a desk in front of a GM and someone will sign him. So I think he's going to have to go into camp and earn it, obviously, because he's the older guy in the room and we have a lot of young horses in that stable. But he still has been there. And like you said, he's Pace's guy. So we'll see. We'll see. And uh I think it's kind of a different situation. And I think me and Lucas actually touched on this in the tight end episode. Um, I really think um, we're going to hold more wide receivers this season compared to last season. I think it's uh, the reason why we've brought in so many different guys. The reason why we drafted a guy like Mooney, you know, and the reason why we have like so many different outside bigger guys and stuff like that is we're not going to run with as many tight ends, but I think we're going to run with more wide receivers than we did last year. It's going to kind of be that, that tipping point. I mean, about the same amount of players probably are going to be on the roster combined of tight end and wide receiver. Just expect more of those players this year to be wide receiver compared to holding 10 tight ends. Yeah, I mean, we did keep five wide receivers last year, if I'm not mistaken, at the end of training camp. So six wouldn't be too much of a stretch, but it looks like we got about seven. So obviously, I mean, at that time is coming. People are going to need to get cut. But as we're talking about this, I want to roll into this kind of tight end roulette because, you know, whether we keep four or five, I think, I think we're at a minimum keeping four maximum keeping five. Right. Um, and we've talked about it. You obviously are going to have Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham as your starters. Those two are locks. Then Demetrius Harris. Um, it was Ben Broniker, but Demetrius Harris, JP Holtz and Jesper horse that are, are battling for that last spot. And, and for me, if they go down to four, I kind of am interested to see who they're going to cut because it was brought to my attention that, JP Holtz does play that F role, but if they're keeping three wide tight ends, three primarily wide tight ends and letting go of Jesper Horstead, who in my opinion was our best pass catching tight end last year. I mean, you're asking to be in the exact same position you were in last year. If Jimmy Graham goes down, that's my opinion because this, this U tight end is so important, right? And then like maybe Cole Komet could step in. I see you be Don. I'll let you say, yes, I understand. You're going to say that Cole Komet can play you tight end. <laughs> no. Okay. But, um, at the end of the day, I do think we're going to, we're going to have to cut one of these guys. So I'll start with you be Don, cause you're pretty fucking eager. And then we'll, uh, you know, get, get your point across and then tell us who you, who you think is going to go. If they only hey, keep four, two, two words. And I'm going to pass it to the Duke, man, Adam Shaheen. See you the fuck later. That was a lot more than two, but bye bye. Yeah. Yes. I didn't include Adam Shaheen. God almighty help us if Adam Shaheen. And now that's the thing though. Why? <laughs> Adam Shaheen's never been on the practice squad. So if I'm, no. if I'm not mistaken, he's practice squad eligible. So they could move him there if they wanted to. And same thing with Jesper Horstead. Go ahead, dude. 
Man, and you know what? I wish I wish I could hop on this. I wish I could celebrate that Adam Shaheen is not going to be a Chicago Bear heading into 2020. But I swear to God, I've seen Ryan Pace hold on too long too many times. I love Ryan Pace. Dude, like I'm actively a Ryan Pace guy. But he holds on to his draft picks too long. And you know in the back of his head right now, he's like, oh, you know. This J.P. Holtz guy, Jesper Horstead, you know, they look pretty good. But they, uh, that Adam Shaheen guy, I went down at one of his games when I was scouting him and he uh, he caught 17 passes against nobodies. You know what I mean? Like, dude, I'm telling you, I'm not going to sit here and say for sure that Shaheen's gone because I know how Pace thinks. And I, he's going to try so hard to make this work in training camp. I guarantee it. Well, that's why I brought up the practice squad eligibility, because I do think you're right. Like he is keen on him. But let's be real here. Like. He didn't hold that attachment to Jordan Howard. He didn't hold that attachment to Leonard Floyd. He will part with guys. And don't get me wrong, those were different situations. But he will part with guys if he needs to. Um, and those are those are guys that he drafted as well. So, And you got to think, those are in his first – I think they were both drafted in 2016, which is his first draft class, or 20, 2016 and 2017. So some of, a couple of his first ones. So, I mean, kind of the bigger difference with that, though, is Howard was going to be heading into a contract year and Floyd was about to get paid more than God. So that's that's a little different. Pace is also money smart, but he also does realize he has control over Adam Shaheen regardless. You know, he's going to get paid. So he, I don't know. I'm just saying, dude, I I heard how Pace – I saw how Pace's eyes gleamed when he was talking about him in that postseason press conference, dude. I just – don't be surprised. That's all I'm telling any Bears fan who are listening to this right now. Don't be fucking surprised. Don't burn the city down because Adam Shaheen's still a possibility as much as I hate to say it. I hope you're fucking wrong, dude. <laughs> I hope I am too. But now, Lucas, now that you laid it up so so delicately for me, that's why you draft a guy like Cole Komet. Same size, same frame, same everything. Good, good, Good person to have over the middle, like all that. He can block too. It's just you didn't see as much of it because he was that number. He was like the number two receiver for Notre Dame last year. A lot of people don't know that, but yeah. As far as our tight ends go this year, to to reel it back into tight end roulette, I think what it ultimately comes down to is Demetrius Harris and Jasper Horsett are the two guys that I want to keep on the active roster outside of Combat and Grand. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. The only way I'd want to. Um keep all five of them as if you were able to sneak someone like Jesper Horstead on the practice squad, which I mean, right now, I don't know how active we really don't know with all this stuff, how, um, how active rosters are going to work, if they're going to be expanded or, or what the deal is. You would expect them to not expand them because you don't want to have too many people on the sidelines for, I, I mean, God only knows what they're going to do. We know that the NFL like came up with that hashtag. We want to play. It was like a half-ass version of, of, um, you know, the what would the MLB do? Something stupid. Let the kids play. Well, no, the, the MLB, no, the did, MLB did some dumb shit. We're, I don't, we're I don't, ready or something like that. Yeah, we're I, ready I, I could have swore the MLB when did like they that. They did whole. when and where I think it was. They hit him with like the young jock, bro. Like, meet me in the trail. It's going down. And then those motherfuckers weren't ready when the MLBPA was trying to talk. That's the one thing I tried to talk about at the beginning of the podcast. The NFL really isn't ready for the season if you guys know what i'm talking about as far as like player safety and like the whole bs that we're dealing with outside of football that we try not to talk about but it's still going on so it's a tough situation but the players want to play the the teams want to play they just have to figure out that specific process 
All right, here's my thing with that, okay? And I'm just going to give you my my thought. We'll get Duke real quick, and then we'll move on to the tight end roulette yeah. stuff because, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we really don't know what the fuck's going to happen. But in my opinion, this was a ploy to make sure that the NFL didn't try to fuck with salaries too much and that they were going to cancel these preseason games. That's my That's my honest opinion because they had weeks and weeks and months to be like, hey, the guidelines aren't out yet. Why would you wait until – two days or three days before the fucking training camp, before people, you know, when they send out a notice saying you're going to be in training camp, here's my thoughts on it, right? The NFL and Oakley have like come together to have some type of like netting or screen inside your face mask. If every single player wears those, then I'll take it seriously. But if, if like you see these guys that all, all hashtag this out there and, and, and they're not wearing them, then I, I mean, cause right now, what does the fucking CDC say? They say, wash your hands and wear a fucking mask. There's no, how is the NFL going to have guidelines that are more strict than the CDC? You know what I mean? Like there's really no way to do this without any risk. You can minimize the risk, but you can't do it with no risk. Go ahead, dude. Uh, so I'm going to basically take this stance of uh, where I've been for the most part with this whole situation is uh, these are all players who are going to be around each other. They're going to be around the same players every single week. They're going to be around the same guys the entire time. And there's not going to be a lot of outside intervention when the season starts. And I think it's kind of how major league baseball is going to start. You know, you're not going to see, you know, Yon Mankata down at a bar in Chicago during the MLB season, you know, whereas, you know, you know, maybe that's normal, you know, one time thing during the year, you're not going to see somebody, uh, a football player eating at a restaurant on a, on a Saturday night. You know what I mean? They're going to be really controlled. They're going to be in a very controlled situation. So if things were to come up, if somebody were to get COVID, it's going to be something that's going to try to be cut off as quickly as humanly possible. I'm telling you, man, when there's this much money at stake, they're going to make this work. They're going to find a way to make this work. And there's too much money to be lost if it doesn't get made to work. Yeah, for sure. It has to be a community effort. But my girlfriend's in all those bullshit gossip pages, Chicago gossip pages, and she'll send me pictures of people at dinner and stuff. And I'm like why are you sending me this? But as soon as the quarantine was lifted in Chicago, I saw a lot of players going out to dinner. So, I mean, it's a small sacrifice to pay not going out. To, I have, I've gone out to eat once since COVID started. You know what I mean? So like it's a small sacrifice to pay if you're making 800 K minimum, if you're making 15 mil, I mean, fuck stay in the house. Right. I think the one thing too, that goes without being said though, is like we saw it with our MLB brothers is they got to make sure, like you said, that the money is right. Because we've seen if football players' money is not right, they're not showing up to camp. So you want to make sure if there is some sort of shortened season, because I've already seen a lot of college games canceled, neutral site games canceled, games in my backyard, games in other cities that I'm supposed to go and cover that are canceled. I don't want anything in the NFL canceled. Like you said, the NFL has a lot more money at stake, even though college is a very wealthy sport, college football to be in. I just want to make sure, though, too, because you have to look at it like this, and I didn't touch on this yet, but there are a lot of guys that, that aren't getting their shot that could have had a couple games or some snaps in the preseason. So there's a lot of money that's not going to be distributed to players and people that aren't going to get opportunities. So it's just a, it's just an odd time, I guess you would say. So Yeah, and you got to think about, like, <clears throat> you know, not only are is there going to be less players on the roster and stuff like that for training camp, less people getting opportunities, less of those small schools got their pro days and stuff like that. Then you think the CFL is also canceled. So they're not getting any tape out there arena. Like all these other leagues are not happening. The NFL is going to be the only one. Um, 
go ahead, Beanox. because I don't want to fucking talk about this too much. No, yeah, we're going to kill it after this. But, yeah, that's the thing, bro, is, like, if you look at it like this, no preseason, no XFL, no CFL. So all those guys that were roster number 54 through 60 that didn't make it, they're not going to have that opportunity to continue to build on their tape. And then in return, too, that, that pool of players that you guys were talking about, you know, it's really going to be limited to practice squad guys that I feel like that are players that are going to be getting picked up during the season. So, uh, you know, just kind of one, one little point, I guess that kind of popped in my head as you were talking there, be done. Um, I really wonder like if this is going to build some sort of like, um, like discrepancy within the locker room between the highest paid guys and the lower paid guys, because you know, it's a lot of the higher paid guys that are calling for the preseason to be canceled. Cause those are games that are really in all latent terms are unnecessary for a lot of these guys. But these guys right here at the bottom are the ones who really do need these situations where they can have a chance to show they can succeed in an NFL system and, you know, kind of show that they can have a place on an NFL roster. So that might be that might end up being a thing at some point within NFL locker rooms. You know, you you, you don't really see that say in an NBA locker room because everyone's paid ridiculous amounts of money in the NBA. Like, dude, I'm pretty sure I can go sit on the bench right now and wear knee high socks and consider myself three point specialist and make like 10 million a year. You know what I mean? And play three minutes a game where we're not really getting that in the NFL. You know, you say 800 K that sounds like a lot to us. It's that 800 K is not looking too hot when some dude's making $20 million a year, you know? So I don't yeah, know. That's, that same discrepancy kind of came up with the um, NFLPA and the NF or and just in, in general with the negotiations for the new contract, the 10 year contract, because you had the like five percenters that were like, yo, let's fucking hold out. And these other guys that were like, yo, my career might only be three years. Let me cash out and get this one point eight million and fucking be on with my life. I'll start a business or some shit. You know what I mean? So I think that's um, something that definitely goes un under notice because the majority of these players and i mean we got our guy beat on wearing his 21 sean taylor jersey awesome the washington r words we can't call him that other word anymore but um overall like you remember the scabs these guys you think about how many players there's gonna be less people on practice squads no cfl all this stuff there are guys that are chomping at the bit to get in so i mean yeah will the chiefs ratings take a little hit if patrick Mahomes doesn't play yeah but people will still fucking watch football the show will go on that's one thing i'm the only thing like i've said before and we'll move on from covid the money scares me more than covid 100 but i do think that the nfl will roll on and be like okay if you feel like you're at risk we'll just the contract is voided for one year or it's pushed, it's pushed for one more year and then we'll figure it out next year. I really don't, I see people coming up and like, you're going to have a lot of hungry people that are like willing to play. So um, that's one thing that I feel like we can close on, but let's get back to this tight end roulette because Bidon said he would take, um, who is it? Uh, uh, Demetrius Horstead. Harris and Horstead. Yeah, Horstead, Harris, and obviously Graham and Komet. And I would take the same combo. Um, if you're really keeping JP Holtz to because his F abilities or his F back abilities, go get a fucking fullback. Find Michael Burton, please. <laughs> yeah, call need... Michael Burton back, bro. He was a dog. We I loved Michael Burton when he was yeah. on the squad. Um, but we Killer don't Instagram pictures too. <laughs> yeah, but we don't need um we don't need tight ends playing F. Okay, we we have enough fucking tight ends. Like, let's get a real fullback if we're going to really utilize one. Duke, it's you, buddy. Yeah, man, I. 
And that's kind of like the what that's like the big thing with Holtz, you know, is really what would, is keeping him on the would be keeping him on the roster is his ability to play different positions. You know, Ryan Pace does like that type of thing, but you know, I I'm really kind of standing where you guys are here. You know, I think I think Horstead was probably our better our best receiving tight end last year. Um, I won't even put Trey Burton in consideration because Trey Burton, but um, you know, I think it's I. Yeah, I, I I can roll with that. I can roll with that for tight ends. I really don't have a ton to say on that. That's yeah. So we're all either extremely right or extremely wrong. So that's somebody thing. and somebody will let us know if we're wrong. So we're swinging for the fences as a podcast. Um, actually, beat on. Turn off your dick sucking lips for thirty seconds. Can Cole Komet play F? Yes. Yes. If you put him in. In goal line situations, and even if you're not in the goal line situation, he can get to the second level and make that block that you need him to make. Tired of people talking about how Cole Komet's like slow or whatever. He's a fucking tight end. He's not supposed to run a four five or a four four. Four seven is fast for a tight end. Take it, take it as it is. The guy's a stud. He can play all these different positions. He's an athlete. And the most important thing is too is like he is one of those players that has it up top. He's a knowledgeable player out on the field, so he knows what to do when he's in those situations because he's been there before. Yeah, that classic, um, that absolutely classic Notre Dame education. I'm glad you didn't um, slob too much, but you did, you did get Vi- into it Saint a little Vider bit. St. Vider, too, so two, two great Catholic organizations. We got a nice little, nice little Catholic boy. Um, all right, so to move on, Catholics. Ba- <laughs> that's a great movie, dude, and that's what I'm saying. Scabs keep coming up, dude. Don't think yeah. that fucking they won't just grab some convicts to play. The NFL <laughs> will do some desperate shit, guaranteed. Hit Nelly um, for the longest yard, dude. Nelly was such a sick halfback. Hey, you haven't played it years. Why can't I be quarterback, huh? Hit me, I'm open. That's why. Now sit down and shut up. It slipped. I just ate popcorn. Now we're going to move forward because the Chicago Bears released a tweet. The Peanut Punch retired four years ago today. Hope you're enjoying it, Peanut Tillman. So, I mean, we've we've shared a lot of love when we did our all-time fantasy draft. Peanut Tillman is all-time bear in my in my opinion. I mean, because he gritted his way. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people get style points, stuff like that. He, his his style points came from grit, straight up. Ultimate lunch pail dude. Um, so I put out a article called Making a Case for Charles Tillman's Hall of Fame Bid. Um, and bear with me for a second because there's a couple stats I wanted to read to you because I actually did a side-by-side comparison with Charles Woodson, Charles Tillman, Champ Bailey, and Ty Law. Um, and actually, other than – I mean, don't get me wrong. Charles Woodson, you can't really put Charles Tillman above him. As much as I love him, Charles Woodson had an 18-year career where he was – fucking productive for damn near all of it um and and a lot of these categories he's the leader uh he's got the most interceptions the most passes or i'm sorry the second most passes defended like all this stuff i broke it down um but then when i added charles tillman into the equation i started doing it because when you look at those two the champ bailey and ty law are, are both hall of famers champ bailey was a first ballot ty law i think had to wait four or five years but you also think of champ bailey and champ bailey's that guy where you're like well he ran sub four three like that's like for as long as i could remember some of my earliest memories were about champ bailey's the fastest guy in the football field you know what i mean and ty law was what just a consummate pro that 
week in and week out produce. You know what I mean? So maybe that's why he had to wait five years. Um, and that's why I feel like the name has something to do with Hall of Fame bidding. But when I broke down the numbers and you look, um, obviously, Charles Stillman, he had 44 forced fumbles. He's top 10 in forced fumbles in the league as a corner, which, I mean, you think about it, like, right, you got Moss, you got um, different sayings like that. And, of course, like, Peanut punch. That's something that comes up. Did he change the game is my kind of whole thing. And it's like, yeah, I think he did. And then when you break it down by year, he had more tackles per game started. He had more solo tackles per game started on all these guys. So he wasn't your go up and pick the ball off kind of guy. He actually had the the worst numbers when it comes to interceptions, including overall and interceptions per game started. But I mean, the guy was great highlight. The guy was unbelievable. You got to think too, Megatron's going to be in this draft class, right? Megatron is supposed to be a first ballot hall of famer. Who was the Megatron optimizer? It was Charles Tillman. And then when you really add up his turnovers, when you add up his forced fumbles, his fumble recoveries and his, um, and his interceptions, he actually had an opportunity to produce more turnovers by game than Charles Woodson. So you got to think like this guy's up there with, uh, pass defenses per game and stuff like that. He's number two. So, I mean, he's really just like statistically wise, you're not going to see overarching like huge stats because he has two, two years less than champ Bailey and Ty law and five years less than Charles Woodson. But when you break it down by game started, I mean, he's competitive. He's actually has the second most, um, second most first place finishes in this thing. And I, I included years played start all pro Pro Bowl interception, interceptions per game started, interception return yards. So Charles Tillman is first in five of the 16 categories, and um, he's third in in three of the 16 categories. So half of the categories, he's actually, you know, and and we're not talking about schlubs here. We're talking about all Hall of Famers. So I definitely, um, I would love for you guys to go check that out because I put a lot of work into it. And there's some, there's some awesome, awesome, awesome stuff in there. I did a really advanced stat breakdown, but uh, go ahead and take it away, Duke. So I got a couple, I got a couple examples here. Um, so first of all, I want to say that if it wasn't for Richard Sherman, not having such a big fucking mouth, Charles Tillman would have actually gotten a lot more respect in the early 2010s as one of, if not the best cornerback in all football. I'm like, I don't even say this and I'm going to sound like toll Homer for saying it. Charles Tillman could shut down any wide receiver you ever put across from him. I don't. Dude, you want to know why he didn't have more interceptions? Because teams stopped throwing the ball his way. Same reason why Darrell Reeves doesn't have a ton of interceptions in his career. Shut down corners. Don't get a lot of interceptions because teams realize very quickly we're not throwing that guy's way. And you want to know why? Charles Tillman was all over the field. He was in your face. He was constantly a physical presence. And you know what? Even if he caught the ball, you're getting punched in the chest at least eight to, eight, eight to ten times a game because he's going for that ball every single time. You know, I, I, I hate that forced fumbles aren't more like – more popular of a statistic because guess what? It's a turnover and you know what? It's a fucking lunch pail ass way to get a turnover. You want to know what? I'm a, I'm a Wisconsin Badgers fan and I had to watch this guy named Ryan Kerrigan at Purdue absolutely terrorize the big 10 because what he would do is force fumbles and it can change the entire aspect of a game. And how many times can you think of Charles Tillman forcing a fumble at an opportune situation? Like a team is driving down the field. All of a sudden Charles Tillman just Pop, ball goes moving. Dude, I, I'm sorry. Teams did not want to have to deal with Charles Tillman. You could put a Tim Jennings opposite of Char- Charles Tillman, and Tim Jennings looks like an all-pro corner because guess what? 
you're uh, you're going to get a lot more attention that way. You're going to have a lot more opportunities for a fast guy to get an interception. You're not throwing the ball towards Charles Tillman very much. He's not going to get a lot of interceptions, but he's going to shut down any wide receiver you put in front of him. And I legitimately think 100% in my heart, call me a fucking homer. I don't care what you call me. Charles Tillman is a first bout Hall of Famer. And he's one of the most underappreciated corners of the two, uh, 2000s up, personally. Yeah. And me personally, I would also argue that he's he's a first ballot Hall of Famer because his numbers compare to other first ballot Hall of Famers. And he I mean, just a consummate professional, dude. He's he's in the FBI now. Like he's everything that you would want from a player, a cornerstone of your team. Um, awesome, dude. Really. I've always been a huge fan of Peanut. We, Me and my girlfriend just got a new dog and we actually named it Peanut. So, I mean, like huge, huge Charles Tillman Homer. Um, and like when you want to talk about his interceptions and being able to cover any receiver, go back and look at the 2013, or I think it was, no, it might've been earlier than that. I think it was 2007 actually, but go back and look at that Vikings game when he straight mossed Randy Moss, when he straight snatched the ball out of Randy Moss's hands, Dante Culpepper sees he's one-on-one decides to throw up a little fade ball and Charles Tillman comes down with it one-on-one against prime Vikings, Randy Moss with Dante Culpepper thrown to him. So you can't say that he wasn't. And, and to, to add to your point, Duke, so many times did we see him chase down someone backside and pop the ball out and just completely change the game, right? You think it's going to be a 25-yard you know, scramble or something like that, and he comes out of nowhere and changes the course of the game, man. It's it's really unbelievable. Yeah, and that's the thing with Charles Tillman. And I'm kind of seeing this with uh, one of my other favorite players who played for the Rams, Isaac Bruce. When it comes to the Hall of Fame, it's it's kind of wild because the media and people don't like you when you're flashy, but they also don't remember you when it's time to get into the Hall of Fame. As crazy as a concept as that sounds, Charles Tillman's a guy who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame first ballot, no questions asked, like real spiel. Like you just said, Lucas, I think that game was actually more towards like 2003, but If you watch that highlight, that's young Charles Tillman. That's fresh out of Louisiana Lafayette, Charles Tillman. Like, I just got to the NFL. I'm hungry. I'm ready to rock. I remember, like, probably his first or second year, like, I got his jersey because I just – I love the way he played. He had that tenacity. He went to work. He wasn't a celebratory guy. Like, he just did everything the right way throughout his entire career. And then on top of that, he was just a badass player. Like, the thing is, is, like – when you got the ball, like you could get a catch on Charles Tillman, maybe. But if you got the catch on it, that didn't guarantee that you were coming down to the to the to the ground with the ball. And I don't know, like you said, I'd have to actually take a deep dive. I'm not looking at the stats. I was looking at them while everyone else was talking. Of course, I'm not looking while I'm talking. But correct me if I'm wrong. He has to be like if we're talking like top three, if not top one, in force fumbles in the entire NFL's history. Like, he has got to be up there. Like, the guy is a solidified sub. Lucas, cut me off if I'm wrong. No, I I know for a fact he's in the top 10. Um, Yeah, I would assume it's higher than that just because, like, his turnover per game clip was, like, one point, like, almost 1.5 or something. Like, he was a turnover machine. Like, dude is an animal. And like you said, too, FBI agent, just, like, consummate professional, absolute the guy that you would uh that you would bring home to your parents if you if you had a or that you your daughter you would hope to bring home to your parents like all that like he is he is that dude well dude I mean, and and he 
he's tied for sixth overall, B Don, with 44. The next, uh, the highest is Robert Mathis with 54. And that's Robert Mathis. And those are like um, strip sacks. That's a different. Julius Peppers, exactly. Yeah. Dwight Freeney, Jason Taylor. So he's up there with guys that are coming after the passer. Those are defenseless smoking a QB when he's not looking fumbles. Yeah, dude, and, and and ask yourself, if Charles Tillman was a safety and you added 20 tackles to each season, is he not one of the best – is he not a first-bout Hall of Fame safety? Why why should that be different because he's a cornerback and he plays man-to-man coverage? It's Sean Taylor-level shit, bro. That's the, type of, that's the type of numbers we're talking about with Charles Tillman. Well, and you really, you really, really look at it, man. He's got more forced fumbles. He's got more tackles per game. Very physical, physical corner. And that's kind of what we were getting at. A lot of forced fumbles, a lot of batted balls. Always followed your top receiver. Didn't matter if it was Randy Moss, Calvin Johnson. Didn't matter who it was. He followed them everywhere they went. It wasn't none of this Richard Sherman bullshit, half, you know, half the field bullshit zone. He was man press on every single top receiver. The social Just, distancing coverage package. Exactly. Yeah. No. Um. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sherman presses. It's not Kyle Fuller, but at the end of the day, he he's able to drop people off, and when they're leaving his zone, um, that's you can't really. It, it's hard to weigh. You know what I mean? Like that's why Darrell Rivas called out Richard Sherman, but it's hard to really weigh a press corner against his own corner. I, I at any time of the year, you'd much rather have a guy that blankets the number one receiver and is able to take him out. Um. But yeah, man, I think like. Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he has the credentials to be one, but to add up like how he was a quiet guy and how he did everything quietly and stuff like that, he wasn't huge in the media. And then you think about this, uh, the draft class he's going to be in or the the Hall of Fame class 2021. It's going to be Jared Allen, Peyton Manning, Calvin Johnson, um, Charles Woodson. So these guys are like pretty much guaranteed first hall first ballot hall of famers and then you got to think about the guys that are on the list waiting so my my thing is he's going to get shafted and i'm not going to like be too upset about it but they better not make him wait too long he really is a hall of fame player if he doesn't get in at all it's kind of despicable yeah yeah and real quick to uh to talk to duke's point earlier i really think they should retire his number so guys like taco mizel cannot wear it because it was absolutely it's absolute dog shit to see players like that, they're going to go and get cut in camp, wear one of our all-time players' numbers. It's disrespectful. It's like when I see someone on the Cubs wear 21. It's absolute bullshit. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you said that because I actually put out a tweet um, because – and it got a good amount of traction. A lot of people like the idea. I said, you know, essentially the Bears can't really retire any more numbers. They have space for like maybe one or two more tops. Um, so my thought was, hey – Instead of fucking, you know, retiring the number and being out of numbers, whatever, why don't you guys just use numbers like 23, Devin Hester, and numbers like 33 as almost like badge of honor jerseys? Like you have to work your way up to getting those jerseys, almost like in uh, some NCAA programs, you know what I mean? Like at LSU, how they wear seven, or Utah, they wear five, Temple, they wear nine. I love that program, and that that is honestly amazing. I think that's a great idea. I wish... We need to get that tweet to everyone just to retweet it. Tell a friend to retweet it and get that to Roger Goodell's ass. Well, dude, Texas is number four too. I mean, that's that's uh, that's Aaron Ross, that's Nathan Vasher, that's that's some top level corners that came in the NFL that were absolutely phenomenal at that level, dude. I, I and I love that idea. Um, I, I think almost you could keep it as like a, a positional thing. You know, like you can only play 30, you can only have 33 if you're in the defensive backfield or you can only have 23. Well, yeah, I guess Devin's a little bit different because 
you know that at that, and I feel like Kyle Fuller has done a pretty damn good job at honoring twenty three. Well, you know, Fuller I think Fuller yeah, have. I think Fuller deserves twenty three one hundred percent. But I just think for future references, now don't get me wrong, it'll be tough, right? Because if you have guys that are wearing thirty three for one year and then they get traded, or you know they fall off and then they're wearing, th- you know, it's not like picture perfect. And you got to think about the marketing aspect and how if you have thirty three changing over to like your defensive or your DB captain every single year, then you got guys like. Who knows if Kyle Fuller would get rotated in or Eddie Jackson? Like these guys, they make money off their number too. So I understand why I wouldn't. But I like I like the thought. You know what I mean? Like save it for high draft picks or guys you expect a lot from. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I, I I actually I really do like that idea. You know, and I, I I think I speak for everyone in the city of Chicago and all the surrounding areas when I say that I don't want to see another quarterback with number six because only one person deserves number six, and that is my boy Jay Cutler. Yeah, just give it to the next kicker, in my opinion. Um, but <laughs> we're going to move on. Just drop the one off Pat O'Donnell and give it to him. He's a dog. Yeah. But um, we actually, yeah, long dong Pat. But um, we, so we teased it earlier in the show, but I'm going to have Duke take it away because he found a really nice stat um, and, you know, compared it or used it to show that Allen Robinson is elite, in fact. Um, so go ahead, take it away, Duke. All right. So, um, if uh, if some of you have read my article, um, the Al Robinson with the elite receiver question mark, obviously, you know, posing a question. We all know he's an elite receiver, but I, uh, I really wanted to get statistic based. I really didn't want to make it some cookie cutter article, you know, that's just only quoting a PFF tweet. And that's the entire article, because I think that's pretty lame personally. But, um, you know, I, I really like uh, the statistics that I found on pro football reference. Um, I think their advanced metrics actually do a pretty good job of kind of um, putting trends, you know, and kind of working with trends and putting people into a certain group. And what I have found, and this is just recently is yards before catch. And it's something that I never really thought about. Cause I think yards after catch is obviously the exciting one because that counts for yardage towards the yards received and everything like that. And that's where you're going to find the guys like a Tyreek Hill. That's where you're going to find your Christian McCaffrey, you know, the ridiculous yards after catch. You could look at that and you could see your better slot receivers or speedier guys. What you see with yards before catch are how good these guys get down the field and how good they are at catching footballs past 15 yards, past 20 yards and stuff like that. So with the top 10 here of yards before catch, now listen, just listen to some of these names I'm about to list off because it just kind of shows with any of these names I bring up, you automatically think deep threat, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Devontae Parker, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, Kenny Galladay. John Brown, Stefan Diggs, and Keenan Allen. Okay. I named nine receivers right there. All of them very much deep threats. Number seven on that list is Allen Robinson. And I think that goes to show that if you can get a ball to Allen Robinson past 15, 20 yards, he is absolutely one of the better receivers in the league to go up and get it or to be in position to catch the football. Cause I mean, I, I would love to see anyone try to argue with me of the players that I just named that those are not all top deep threat wide receivers, you know? And I think this is really a good metric. I'm, I'm a big advanced metrics guy. I'm big, you know, not just looking at a box score and saying, Oh, they caught for this many yards. They caught that many touchdowns, that many catches. And that's, the end of the story because i think that just that really understates how good some players are in different areas of the game and um i think yards before catch hopefully becomes a little bit more exciting of a statistic because i think you're really going to see your future deep threats you're going to see the guys who are a little bit lower on the list like a mike williams or Cortland sutton 
or a DJ Moore or even a DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins is number 15 on this list. You know what I mean? There's going to be players that you're going to see kind of rise up the ranks, and you're going to see where players who are maybe good with yards after catch, you know, show that maybe that doesn't tell the whole story. I don't know. I just really think it's a very good metric, and I think it is a good metric to show how good Allen Robinson is. And if anyone has a second, anyone wants to go read something that actually, you know, has statistics, has different ways of showing how good Allen Robinson is, highly recommend you go and check out my article, Allen Robinson, Elite Receiver, question mark. Yeah, and go ahead, Don. Yeah, and if you're part of Allen Robinson Twitter, because there is, like, that man has his own fucking Twitter sphere, like, Extend Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson liked my tweet, this, that, and the third. Read this man's article, please. Because I know there is a cult following behind Allen Robinson. Get this get this article some love because it really does get into the advanced stats and the reason why not only Allen Robinson should be extended, but why he should be in that conversation in the top, I wouldn't say five, but I'll say top ten. I'll say top ten. He is like right there on the outside, like six, seven, maybe eight. But the fact that, like, we're seeing all these different lists, I don't even have all the names in front of me, and I don't see Allen Robinson on a single one is flat-out disrespectful. I think it may have something to do a little bit with the quarterback play that he's had in his career between Blake Bortles and, and Trubisky. But in Trubisky, I feel like him and Allen Robinson have a great connection and have shown chemistry over their time together here in Chicago. Yeah, that's one thing. I mean, like, because I, I did want to comment on, you know, he's got all these yards before catch, but Trubisky's not the greatest at throwing the ball downfield, but they do have that chemistry, and they, they very regularly, at least once a game, hit some type of big back shoulder throw. Now, I'm not saying, like, 40, 50 yards, but there's always some type of back shoulder throw against the sideline that I feel like Robinson's coming down with. Um, definitely a great metric to look at, right? Because you see, like, the vast differences in these styles of players. Stephon Diggs is someone that's you're going to throw, you're going to launch the ball up and he's going to come underneath it. Same with Devonte Parker. Whereas like Julio Jones is more of that, you know, he does everything. Don't get me wrong, but you got a jump ball player. You got Mike Evans, who's a jump ball player. And I think like, you know, people really get, um, infatuated with the idea of, of that speedster, like a Tyree kill and stuff like that. But you really don't realize like how much it, it it's, we want to talk about security blankets with the tight ends. Every time Mitchell Trubisky sees one-on-one in man coverage, he throws it up to fucking A-Rob. Like, I'd say about 85% of the time, and I would do the same too. I want to make a really good, um, I guess you would say, metric switch or analysis, but having a guy like Allen Robinson or a guy like Mike Evans is like having a quality power forward on your basketball team. You have the center, he's going to get the good, you know, he's, he's your tight end, basically, but Having that second option that, you know, can kind of box out a corner, get a little physical with him. If it's a 50-50 ball, you know he's going to go win it. It's great to have on your team, and it's like having a good power forward in basketball. Yeah, and, you know, I think you look at that, uh, Denny, the Bulls fans listening to this. You know, that is something that, uh, you know, a Carlos Boozer didn't Carlos maybe. Carlos fucking Boozer. Carlos Boozer didn't do a ton for you. Fucking uh, fake fucking hair too. His Just, fucking sharpie head. Hey, hey, dunk, hey! Don't hate on the, the fucking shoe polish, up on man. Hey, bro, hey, dude, Get he can hit jumpers Duque. with his goofy ass like eight second jump shot where he puts oh. the ball like all the way back, like all the way to his back. 
Like, come on, man. But that's mid-range, dude. Having a good mid-range game inside with a power forward, that's yeah. that complements so well See, with it's everything like, else. It's like Allen Robinson works that mid-range in the NFL, so it's almost it like be, the exact same thing. It's per, It's like the perfect one. It would be yeah. a fucking compliment if Boozer didn't try to lay up every fucking dunk opportunity that there was. He was not be, power forward. He was a soft-ass power forward, dude. And would the be. best... I'm sorry, but the best to me is every time he got stripped and he'd go, hey, like someone fucking fouled him, hey, but really just was before garbage. I get, before Duke I is get, really not happy about this. Bro, when, get, you, when you have a Joakim Noah in the paint who yeah. can fucking can't score jack shit, you're going to need a guy like Carlos Boozer who's a little soft out there yeah. in the mid-range. Plus, before I get plus, muted and booted, hold up, Duke. I got to do this. I got to do this. Before I get muted and booted, getting a guy like Carlos Boozer when you want to get you know, LeBron James is, is kind of like it. It's kind of like getting Mitch when you want Patrick Mahomes, but yeah, all right, yeah, you know, just keep piling this shit on, man. God, dude, it just—if it was not for the Chicago Blackhawks, dude, the 2010s would have been so rough. I'm not a Cubs fan, so I—I I could give two shits about 2015. Um, but yeah, man, it's—I—I I, I think that's a solid point, though. You know, to have a good power forward, you know, for for the sake of argument, let's say like a an Al Horford, you know what I mean, out out in Boston, I guess would be a better more uh, representative of a guy like Alan Robinson, a guy that doesn't get a lot of respect, but a guy that, you know, when you need plays to happen, a guy that you can go to, you know, and that's, that that's exactly what you get with the possession receiver. Is that, is that not what we had with like a Brandon Marshall? When we needed a big play, we could toss it up to him and Alshon Jeffrey as well. You toss him up the football. He usually finds a way to come down with it. You know what I mean? That's, that's the type of player that I think a Rob can be and that he already is honestly, but you know, with him only being what 27 years old, there's still room for him to grow. I think he's actually only 26. Maybe I think he turns 26 this year or turns 27, but either way young as fuck for him to be going into his third contract. So good for him. He's going to cash out probably another time. Cause I don't see someone giving him more than a three, four year contract again. Then he's in his thirties. He gets himself a couple decent deals. Um, he can really fucking cash out. Cause Right now, when you're the focal point of the offense and you're the only positive thing of the offense and everyone's game planning for you, someone's going to want to scoop him up. So this extension does have to happen this offseason because if he hits the market, it's over. I do think, though, this year is really that year for Anthony Miller. Like he, We really saw it towards the end of last year how good this kid can be. I think this is the year that he puts it all together while we're on the topic of receivers. Well, and I mean, we saw him put it together his rookie year. He had like seven fucking touchdown catches. I think he led the team in touchdown catches. So I was talking about like next level, though, like what they brought him here with the idea. Like, I think he could put up I'm like, I'm not going to put a number on it, but that next level to where he could be like Pro Bowl consideration where he's going to have a really good year. I fucking hope so, B-Don. Um, but on that note, we are just about out of topics for the day. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you guys got anything else? Yeah, I got one more. Um, I do want to cat call uh, the Madden's rating adjuster real quick uh, because he actually did reply to me on Twitter. The main guy, number one guy, by the way, number one Madden ratings adjuster. I got to give Premier Amp the assist for it but because he's actually the one that mentioned him. So I, I laid out a tweet out there because uh, Chicago Bears Twitter did what they do every every year, and they released their top uh, players in Madden, the upcoming Madden. And, uh, you know, toughness 95 for uh, Roquan Smith. I can roll with that. 89 speed for Roquan Smith. Yeah, pretty fast guy. 94 stamina. Yeah, dude, I think uh, I think I think porn stars can definitely attest to that. But what kills me. Hell yes. 
<laughs> what kills me is this 86 tackle, dude. This 86 tackle, dude. I couldn't sleep last night because this damn 86 tackle on this graphic. I can't fathom a world where Roquan Smith can't tackle. Last season, and I put this up in my Roquan Smith article, which is actually where I copy and pasted this tweet, but you know what? I didn't care because it was a great point. Roquan Smith missed four tackles last season. Fourth or third lowest in the NFL among players is 100 plus combined tackles. 3.8% of his tackles he missed. This guy. So uh, it, it, this tweet got a lot of traction and uh, the ratings adjuster. This is the head guy, the number one ratings adjuster. He wanted to come in saying, I see six missed tackles on 70 or 77 tackles, 2019. So I call him out, ask him, uh, ask him where, where are the missed tackles at? Like, where, where are you getting your information from? He sends me this lame screenshot from what looks like ESPN.com um, of apparent missed tackles that he had. And then when I actually call on him, they ask me like, all right, so where are you getting this? Cause I'm not seeing this radio silence. I, this is why I said at the beginning, top of the show that why I trust pro football reference. I've been using pro football reference for as long as I've been able to use a computer. These guys do not sell out to one league or, uh, or another. They don't do just do football stats. They do all stats. They haven't, they haven't sold out to the NFL. They haven't taken money from anybody. They take money from independent advertisers. Cause you know what, what they put out here is the truth. They go into each and every single game and they look up every single stats. Dude, this is where you get this wonderful yards before catch uh, statistic. This is where you get these different metrics that I put into my articles. So, um, when somebody who is apparently the head of the rating system in Madden wants to come at me with this little cheeky little screenshot that doesn't show me where he's getting his statistics compared, uh, you know, across the league of who has missed tackles, whatnot. I just, it really makes me wonder how serious, uh, these Madden ratings are, how serious these guys really take this. If this is just a giant popularity contest, like we've talked about before, or is this actually about players who legitimately finish their tackles? Cause if it is, I don't understand how an 86, uh, represents, three, four missed tackles in a season. Yeah. I mean, I think we can all um, attest to the fact that Madden ratings are full of shit. We kind of covered that in the last episode, but um, really great stat to know that he only missed four tackles last year. I, I didn't know. I knew he was a pretty sure tackler. Um, if you, if you wanted to, to downgrade him on his block shutting, I can understand that, but definitely not his tackling. I don't think he's had any issues with that at all. Um, but I mean, go ahead. Yeah. And I actually, in the in the wee hours of the night the other night, I actually went back and watched that Oklahoma Georgia game, uh, the college football playoff game, right before Roquan got drafted against Baker Mayfield. Dude was all over the field at Rose Bowl Stadium. I just yeah, Roquan. There's so many players on our team that are so disrespected, and Lucas, you've talked about it on in some of your articles, and and we talked about it a lot last week. That chip on your shoulder. That team has it this year. They know what they're capable of, and they did it in 2018. And I, I just, I really think that it's our division to lose at this point. And that's all I got for this week. Yeah, 100. percent And next week, I'll definitely go ahead and get go back on the check uh, to see what tweets that Khalil Mack has liked that pretty much say yes. he sucks. So we'll give you an update on that next week for sure. And we're also going to put out some fan questions. So we'll put that out tomorrow for next week. Um, but it was honestly awesome, 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 awesome stuff today, guys. My name's Lucas Perfetti. You could follow me at Lucas Perfetti 46. Duke Coughlin is the man. Uh, go ahead and speak real quick. So, you know, they know your voice. Yo, this is your boy, Duke Coughlin. 
You yeah. can follow me at that pod guy Duke on Twitter. A hundred percent. And then we have Brandon Suarez at B Don three hundred, the Don, the B Don King. We are Bears on Tap. Go ahead and follow us at that handle. Also, go ahead and follow OnTap Sportsnet for all of your Chicago sports needs and visit ontapsportsnet.com for all of our articles and podcasting material. Gentlemen, wonderful night today. Preseason's underway, man. We got football. We got stuff to talk about, like legitimate shit to talk about. Everybody, have a great night and bear down. Be you, bear down. Bear down. <laughs>